Good morning, church. Hopefully, uh, you found the weather well. <laughs> it's not like the valley, not that bad, but uh, it is getting a little spicy out there. Um, we're glad to see uh, Sal and Cherry back, that they made it back in one piece. So God bless you. I'm sure they have many stories of how they've uh, witnessed the Lord move in their lives uh, throughout uh, their time going on their road trip. And uh, good morning to our, our, our long-lost sisters. God bless you both. Glad to see you here. Um, you know, I just wanted to, to share something real quick. Uh, it's cool because, again, it's impromptu, right? This is not anything scripted. We don't come up with ways we can be clever and creative. It's just the Holy Spirit, you know, moving upon our lives. Um, yeah. Amen. Without, without the Holy Spirit, I mean, we have literally nothing. Um, you know, so uh, I get up in the morning, and as is customary on Sunday mornings, I, you know, I try to get cleaned up. So I, you know, I cut my hair and I shave. And, uh, you know, usually I, I, I'll either listen to, uh, you know, the Bible uh, on my phone or, or hear a message. And I, I really enjoy listening to uh, Charles Stanley. He's one of the, my favorite pastors. I mean, that man, uh, not him, right? But how the Holy Spirit works through his life, how submissive he is to the Holy Spirit that you can just sense the richness, the rawness, the realness. You know, he pulls no punches. There are no frills. Everything he shares is just raw and uncut the Bible. And, uh, you know, this message had talked about prayer and the importance of prayer, the importance of recognizing sin for what it is and recognizing the holiness of God for who he is. And there was something that just stood out to me so deeply. I was so convicted by this because many times I go into prayer, you know, I'm a talker, right? And I'm just running my mouth, yapping to the Lord about this and that and this and that. And and uh, he, he, he challenged me. And it's been I've known of it before. But, you know, sometimes we get rusty and we tend to forget we get into a routine. And he's like, the next time you get on your knees and go before the Lord, just be quiet. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't tell the Lord anything. Just let him come upon you. And allow him to speak into your life, to speak into your heart. What happened with Isaiah when, 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 when Isaiah recognized he was going before the Lord? Isaiah instantly recognized his filthiness before the Lord and how wretched he was. What did he say to the Lord? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. What happened when uh, the Lord spoke to Moses in the burning bush? He said to Moses... What are you doing? You're standing on holy ground. Get off. <laughs> Take your sandals off. You know, be quiet. Listen to me. What did Moses go down and tell the people? Man, you guys got to build a fence around this whole area. You go anywhere near this area without being right before the Lord and you will get smitten. What happened to that man who the, the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall and he, he was trying to do a good deed. He's like, ah, I'm going to help. But yet that man perished because he did something he wasn't supposed to do. And, and, and all of this points to God's holiness and his righteousness and how real it is and how raw sin is and how serious God takes sin, right? And, and again, what, what was spoken to me or what was impressed upon my heart was when I'm still and quiet before the Lord in his perfect goodness and in his infinite wisdom, he will reveal to me everything I need to know in that moment. I don't have to figure out what I'm convicted of. I don't have to figure out what I need to repent of. I don't have to figure out what I need to lift up in prayer. It's so simultaneously done. It's miraculous how it happens. But that's the, the power. As the Bible talks about the groanings within us that only the Holy Spirit can interpret. You know those times where there's no words you can say, but just the, uh, you just... Feel that in the depth of your heart, but the Holy Spirit is communicating to the, to the Lord God what exactly it is that you need in that moment. I just think that's a beautiful thing. I don't know who that's for this morning. <laughs> Maybe it's just for me, but I, I just felt strongly that I needed to uh, share that, that uh, I challenge you as well. The next time you go before the Lord in prayer, just, just be quiet for a moment. Be still before the Lord. Allow him to speak into your heart. Because remember, we are in a relationship, right? A relationship isn't one way. I, you know, another good thing is, you know, I, I have to listen to my wife. 
right? I get so much more out of our marriage when I listen to my wife intently and not constantly talking. And that's the same thing with the Lord. When you allow the Lord to speak into your life, you will be blown away by what the Lord will do in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. I just want to share one more quick thing. It was super cool. Again, nothing impromptu. But last night, you know, we're all chilling, whatever. We're, uh, I was watching a... I don't know who I was watching. Who was playing baseball last night? I don't know who I was watching. It was the, it was the Mets and somebody. I don't know. We're hanging out. And then all of a sudden, Kalos goes to my wife and is like, I, I want to be part of the worship team. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Week in, week out, man. I got to badger you to stand up. You don't even want to stand up and sing. You're, you're embarrassed. He says, I'm, I'm going to go on stage tomorrow and sing. We said, well, we had to explain to him, what is the reasonings for this? Do you want to be up there to be seen? Or do you want to be up there because you want to honor God? And so we explained to him the whole thing of, you know, you're, you're, you're literally uh, performing, if you want to even use that word, for an audience of one. You're doing it because of the adoration for the gratitude you have for God That's why people jump up and down and scream hallelujah. That's why people sing at the top of their lungs. That's why you see maybe your neighbor next to you, maybe they're not singing, but they're weeping. Whether those are tears of conviction or tears of joy. All these things are, again, I'm I'm using that word today, (laughs) impromptu. Because of the depth of the reality of what has been done for you. And so, we, you know, my wife is like, you can't be explaining it to him like that. He's five years old. I'm like... I'm cutting no corners. I'm being raw with this kid. Let him know exactly what it is. Understand why you want to do what you want to do. It's not for the applause of men. It's for the gratitude and for being so uh, just inspired by what God has done for you upon that cross. And so I just wanted to share that. I thought that was pretty cool. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Lord. So, you know, however the Lord has it pounded for his life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, This morning we are in Acts chapter 28. We've gotten there. Lord is faithful. I do believe the Lord had showed me this when he allowed me to step into the position of pastor, pastoring this church. And he said, book of Acts. Straight up. The book of Acts is where we need to be for, you know, this season in, in this ministry to retrace our steps and remember what the church is supposed to look like and it's been a great journey uh, thus far and uh so again we are in acts chapter 28 we are going to be going through verses 11 through down through 22 so when you get there uh, please stand if you have your old-fashioned bible with pages or you got a cell phone or if you don't got the cell phone uh, we should have uh, the scriptures on <coughs> uh, the screen behind me so please uh be encouraged to read and follow me there I'll do my best to not botch a couple of these uh, names, as you know, is custom with me. I'm not the best with uh, some of these pronunciations. So tomato, tomato, you get the point. The main point is where's Jesus in the text. So let's go ahead and read and I'll go ahead and pray and we'll go ahead and break down uh, the scriptures that we have this morning. So Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 11, and it says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the two twin gods as figurehead, as a figurehead, excuse me. Putting on at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Raum. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patuli. I'm going to say Patuli. All right. There we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Verse 16, and when he had come into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Verse 18, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. This is speaking of the Romans. 
because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, he's speaking of the Jews from Jerusalem, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring, uh, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Verse 21. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. And with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to bear the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Father, thank you that you see us now as saved people through the lens of your son, Jesus Christ, with his righteousness, with his righteous blood and not uh, us and <laughs> how we are apart from Christ. Lord, would you please speak through your word? Well, your, uh, your, your word is holds ultimate supremacy. There's There's nothing that needs to be added to it nor taken away from it so please may you help us to rightfully divide your word may you reveal to us where jesus christ is in the scripture this morning may you show us how uh, these principles are very uh, needed and applicable to our own life so father we thank you and love you we pray this on jesus christ's precious name amen all right you may be seated church not cheated you don't ever want to be cheated um All right. So as we begin to look at this text this morning, we've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks that Paul's like, I'm going to make it to Rome. I'm going to make it to Rome. The Lord has revealed to me that I'm going to make it to Rome. It didn't look like it for he went through basically a witch hunt, came out unscathed, went to the sea was shipwrecked, looked like sudden death was going to come upon him and the rest of the crew. Uh, 14 days, as we know, no sunlight, no moonlight, uh, no food. Conditions were not favorable at all. But they made it to the island of Malta, and there they've gotten rest. They've been rejuvenated. If Gatorade was a thing back then, they would have had a, a three-month supply of it to get replenished, to get their electrolytes the way they needed to be, to get everything in order so they could continue on on their journey to Rome. So here in our text this morning, we actually encounter the first instance of what Paul is going to experience when he comes to uh, Rome. Again, he had to endure a lot. But he made it in one piece. We know that Paul's primary purpose for going to Rome was to stand before Caesar and to witness uh, the, the, the greatness and uh, the goodness of who Jesus Christ is, right? Uh, it was prophesied that Paul would speak to kings and rulers of the world, of the known world of that time. And, and it was going to come to a culmination with Paul going before Caesar of Rome. But there were other things that were also going to go on in his journey to Rome to go before Caesar. Uh, again, today we will learn about the, for, the first, excuse me, moments of his visit to Rome and what it actually looked like from his viewpoint. We have several main points, and the first one is this. Godly encouragement which we all need, comes in the form of the people he uses. Godly encouragement. Say amen if you know what encouragement is. All right. Godly encouragement, it comes in the tangible form of people. Godly people that he uses. You see, last week we learned that how we measure our love for God is by how we serve one another, right? We talked about it. You could say, I love you, God, all you want. But if your actions nullify what you say, it's lip service. 
It's more important that your actions line up with what you say. That way, there's actual evidence. There's actual fruit. I can't say I love my wife, but yet I'm surfing the internet doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Or I'm going and meeting up with some woman who I'm not supposed to meet with. That You think my wife is going to say, oh yeah, I believe you love me, but you're shacking up with this other person. I'm just using that graphic example because it's the same thing when we commit spiritually, spiritual adultery against the Lord God. When we say, I love you, I love you, I love you. We quick to say, I love you, but our actions are running far from the love of Christ. So we learned that last week, right? It's remarkable to me how the entirety of the word of God, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. We're not those who say, oh, yeah, we don't need the Old Testament. The more you learn in the New Testament, the more you want to go back to the Old Testament and uncover all these truths because it's all relevant. But it's it's remarkable to me how the entirety of the Bible, without any effort at all, truly supports itself on every single level. You see, when you look at the principle of our love for God, being measured by how we serve other people, it makes perfect sense. You see, that these believers who were living on the outskirts of Rome, they served to encourage Paul greatly. There was no mistake that after Paul went through all that he went through, and he finally got to Rome, as you look in our text, as we'll get into it in a minute, there were believers that came. And they came by his side and they encouraged him. They encouraged him. How, just think for a minute, how would it have been if Paul went through all that? He got to Rome and there was nobody there to say, hey, brother, I'm glad you're here. We've read your letter. We understand how the Lord has been using you. We just want to say, praise God. Thank you. You're an encouragement to us. If that wouldn't have been there, maybe his countenance would have changed. You know, Paul got that infusion he needed at the exact moment of time from these other believers. You see, there is something about witnessing God work through actual people, right? Seeing the hand of God move through the life of someone else. There's something about that that's irreplaceable. That's irreplaceable. It's something that you can't really explain, but it does something to you, right? It does something to you when you when you see, wow, the Lord is real. This is, I can't explain it other than it's a miracle. How did this happen? And you see a tangible hand, a tangible face that you can attach that to. And again, we don't worship people, but you're grateful for the Lord working through the life of someone else. If you're laying sick, in a hospital bed, aren't you praising God for good nurses and good doctors that come to your aid and he uses to help get you back on your feet? You see, what if there was no doctor? What if there was no nurse? We learned about this last week. God wants to work miracles every day in our lives, but he needs people that are available to work through, right? And for us that know Jesus Christ, for us that understand spiritual principles, it's so much more important for us to make sure that we are clean vessels for his usage. You get into a whole other can of worms because now you got to bring up repentance and sin and all that because remember, if we're living a lifestyle of sin, it's like a clogged artery. We're blocking the Lord from being able to use us. The Lord's like, dude, I want to use you so bad, but your lifestyle is so filthy that I can't even look upon you because I can't have no dealing with sin because I'm holy. You see, again, you cannot talk about the grace and mercy of God without talking about sin, without acknowledging that sin is an issue. Sin is a problem, that it needs to be confronted on every level. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be crystal clear and real about what the scripture says. The glory about it is there is a way to have that sin eradicated from your life. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live in the past. 
All you have to do is say, Lord, cleanse my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Hey, from the east to the west, it's done with. You don't have to go back to that. And you become a clean vessel. Our vessels become dirty all the time. They can become tainted all the time. That's why we have to constantly go back. That's why we have to constantly repent. That's part of sanctification. That's the lifestyle we live. I'm, I'm briefly explaining that because in order for us to be used, in order for miracles to be worked through our lives in miraculous ways, we have to be clean in the Lord's sight. And when that happens, you'll be amazed at what you'll see. That's just like my son telling my wife, I want to be part of the worship team. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. I know how I grew up. (laughs) I didn't grow up in a godly home. I didn't hear none of that. I didn't see any of that. And so for my son to be five going on six, Lord willing, next week. That's a miracle to me personally. That's a personal testament of God's goodness. That this young child has the mindset that he wants to honor and serve God. Even though he doesn't really, maybe, I want to say maybe he doesn't understand fully what's going on there. But he understands the framework. And probably he probably understands more than I think he does. Speaking of people the Lord using being tangible uh, in our lives, uh, I want to share this because I think this is very important too, right? Uh, we know that it's super important to hide God's word in our heart. What, what does that mean? It means to memorize the word of God, to, to, to keep God's word in your heart, to, to, as a cow has many, how many stomachs does a cow have? Four? Four? Okay. When they eat of the grass and the cud, they chew it, it goes through one chamber. I don't know how it comes back up. I guess it gets like regurgitated, like if you need to take some antacid because you got stuff coming up and they chew it again and it goes to another chamber of the stomach and so on, right? As the same way, I'm sure you've heard this analogy before. That's how we're supposed to feast on the Word of God. It's constantly chewing it like it's cut, right? Meditating on it all the time to where you're, they say, you know, life verses. You have life verses because you've memorized it. Because you go to it. Those are verses you run to in whether times of praise or times of, I need you so bad, you, you, you run to these verses that you memorize, right? It's very important that we hide God's word in our heart. You know, back in the day, not everyone was privy to a Bible. Only certain people had the scrolls. And so many of these scriptures were passed down at the table or they would sit in cots or whatever. We have these little, you know, I don't know what you call them now, the little, the, the, the bean bags. They would sit on bean bags around a table and they'd pass around the food and the bread and they would chop it up. And that's how they would understand the word of God. And that's how they hide it in our hearts. Now we have so many Bibles we don't know what to do with. But the Bible does you absolutely no good if you don't hide God's word in your heart, if you don't read it, if you don't study it, if you don't memorize it. It's very important. The caveat is this. <laughs> I laugh because it's so true. There will also come a time when you will need encouragement from another brother or sister in Christ. I'm not saying the word of God is not powerful. We know clearly the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts to the bone. It gets to the heart of the situation. By the same token, there will come times when you're going to need encouragement from somebody tangible that's in the word of God, that's a brother or sister in Christ. You see, we can't physically see Jesus Christ right now, but he is at work through other people so we can be reassured that he is here with us. Amen. That's the that's 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 one of the main points of the body of Christ. That's why the body is Christ and the head is Jesus Christ. But that's why the body of Christ is the body of Christ. Because as many times the toe got to help, other ankle, the arms got to help, the leg and, and so forth. And that's why you and I are here this morning. It's a one another ministry. Where I lack, one of you or multiple people can help me. The same thing with me and you and your brothers and sisters here and the people outside in the world that are believers in Christ. All right, the second main point is this. Even if your situation looks bleak, we've all been there. Ah, it's so bad. My situation sucks. I can't take it. It's so hard. (laughs) 
Even though if your situation looks bleak, you have a chance. You have the opportunity to make a difference for the Lord. You see, Paul made it to Rome. He made it to Rome. He had all his limbs. But he was still a prisoner of Rome. He was still a prisoner. You see, the text says that he wasn't kept like a normal prisoner. Uh, he wasn't with the normal population. It wasn't because he got PC'd up. He didn't molest anybody. He wasn't a snitch. If you guys understand that terminology in our, in, our, in our jails nowadays, there's certain people, they do certain things that are not good, and they get separated from general population. That wasn't with Paul. But he was not with the normal population. He was able to stay in a house-like setting by himself. He only had one guard that guarded him, and that guard would change about every four hours or so. Even though there were less restriction on Paul's life, not being part of the normal population of prisoners, he was still just that. He was a prisoner. He didn't have the freedom to get up out of that house and walk out whenever he wanted to. There was a soldier that, if need be, would have struck him and caused some kind of physical bodily uh, pain to him if he went against what his boundaries were. So he was a prisoner. He was still a prisoner. You see, being, I don't know if you've ever been to prison. I don't know if you've ever had your freedom taken away from you when you couldn't go to the refrigerator and get a soda pop out if you wanted to or go get a cookie from the cookie jar. And you're told when you can eat, what you can wear, how you can do whatever you do, when to wake up, when to go to bed, barred like a caged animal. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But, but to be in Paul's situation, it would have been easy for Paul to believe that the Lord's purpose for his life was over. He could have just been, forget it, I'm done. I mean, Lord, what can you do with me now? You said I was going to go to the ends of the earth and I was going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner. What do prisoners do? Make shanks and defend themselves? What, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm in prison. I'm outcasted from the rest of society. You see, but Paul didn't look at the Lord or his circumstances that way. He allowed the truth of who Jesus Christ was to speak into his life, to see the magnitude and the grandeur of who Jesus Christ was far superseded what his circumstances were. He didn't measure God's worth by what his circumstances looked like. You see, Paul understood that even as a prisoner, God had given him a platform to share the gospel with those around him. Every soldier that came in, remember, they rotated every four hours. That was a new opportunity for the gospel to go out to somebody who desperately needed it. Remember, this is Rome. This is a godless society. This is a society that is full of idols, full of demigods, small g. They had every god for every kind of little thing. You know, they still teach about this stuff in school. Zeus and all these other people. That's not a god. That's a god you guys created in your minds. Romans talks about it. But the Lord would use Paul at every opportunity despite him being locked up. Today, wherever the Lord has placed you, there is an opportunity to shine bright for Jesus Christ. It just depends on your perspective and your outlook. How are you viewing your life? Are you singing that same old woe as me, playing your violin out of tune that nobody wants to hear that's annoying? I get it. There's times where we got to feel sad and we, we're, we're, we're genuinely hurt and we're genuinely, genuinely concerned about our circumstances. I get that. But do you understand, even in the darkest, depraved states, the light of Jesus Christ shines brighter than any of that. That's what the whole, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can there be a shadow, right? You've probably heard this before. How can there be a shadow in a valley unless there's a light that's brighter than that darkness casting its light down upon that darkness. You get that? 
That's a beautiful thing. That's just that's to show you. Even in your darkest hour, the Lord Jesus Christ is still there. He supersedes. When you if you turn off all these lights, it's dark, right? The minute you open up a door or turn on a light, what happens? The darkness runs away. There's no darkness. Because the light overpowers the darkness. And spiritually speaking, that's the same exact way. When you, when you, my brain works that way. When I was able to connect those things, oh man, a light bulb went off in my head. And I'm like, what? This is amazing. That's God. He's amazing. That light of Jesus Christ is that powerful that even the demons tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. That's why whenever you're in any kind of spiritual warfare, you never say, in my name. Pfft, what? You're going to be like those fools who got beat up, bloody, naked, running away. Because they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they tried to use the name Jesus and it didn't work. But you go, in the name of Jesus, man, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And that's why we're having the situation we have now with Hollywood, academia, the media. All trying to get rid of Jesus Christ because they want to live godless. They want to live like animal kingdom. I heard a message the other day, pretty crazy. They basically said, the pastor said, people are doing things, and this is, there's nothing new under the sun, but people are doing things that even animals that walk on four legs are detested by the things that we do. They wouldn't even do it, and they're the beasts of the field. I mean, it's raw, it's real, it's crazy. That's why you better know your word and know your boundaries, because <laughs> sin is a slippery slope. Don't dabble, because dabbling leads to an open door. And an open door leads to, man, your heart being prey. And we know when sin, when sin comes forth, it brings spiritual death and physical death. That's just a side note. All right, third main point. The truth of the Bible, it follows a consistent pattern, and it doesn't change. You see, on the third day of this journey, once he went to Rome, Paul went and spoke to the Jewish leaders who were in Rome. He addressed them and let them know the circumstances that led him to Rome, all the things that it went on. Basically, uh, we know that the other Jewish, Jewish excuse me, religious leaders, they had accused him of forsaking the law and the people of Israel. Now, we know he didn't do that. It was evident from the response of the Jews in Rome, how they said, we didn't hear such a thing. We didn't know nothing about this, right? They had never heard Paul being in violation of God's word. But the story that the religious leaders in Jerusalem put together, again, it was exposed for its flaws. Lies. I share that because lies. At some point, they're going to come to light as what they truly are. A lie cannot be regarded as truth forever. Eventually, it will be exposed for what it is. Right? Eventually, the truth will come to light. This is the truth. Those guilty of fabricating the truth in order to have their own desires fulfilled will be brought to light in God's perfect time. Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 tells us, But if you fail to keep your word then you will have sinned against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. That's a consistent truth that runs all throughout the Bible. You can't get away with it forever. I don't care if you're a politician. I don't care if you're a cop. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a lawyer trying to get somebody off for murder. Even if they get off, be sure your sin will find you out. It may be on your deathbed. Be sure your sin will find you out. The consistency of the Bible runs true, regardless of what man tries to do. Okay, I'm pumped up. Let's go ahead. <laughs> Let's go ahead and break down these verses. Man, I, I'm just so blessed to be able to, uh, to eat from God's word. All right, verse 11 down through 15. It says, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as figureheads. Okay. <laughs> Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Ram. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to, uh, man, <laughs> Patuli. <laughs> uh, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for several days. 
And so we came to Rome, and the brothers and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. A lot of people love to ride bikes on Sunday, huh? <laughs> crazy all right on seeing them paul thanked god and he basically took courage okay so the first thing we see here is that it says after three months after three months several months right they spent three months on the island of malta if you were here last week that's the island where they uh they finally landed upon and they they got replenished uh on the island of malta they gathered the strength that they needed and they waited for the winter to end So then the weather was favorable and they could continue down the peninsula to get to Rome. Though there is not much detail in the text about what happened for three months there on Malta, knowing the Apostle Paul, knowing his heart for the Lord, you and I could only assume that the word of God was preached and taught and shared with the people of that island, the natives there during the time that they were there for the three months he was there. I mean, he wasn't just, like I said last week, he wasn't like Snoop walking, walking along the beach talking about, you know, it's a fine life, baby, giving away Coronas. He wasn't doing that. He was giving away the word of God. He was sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ was with these native people who had no idea of who God was. They believed and worshiped false gods. Remember that whole thing about the viper clinging to his hand and they said, ah! You're guilty for sure because that viper is telling you you're guilty. And when he shook off the viper into the fire and didn't puff up and die, now they started worshiping him as a god. So they obviously needed a clear understanding of who the true and living God was. And I think they got a crash course of true, real, raw Christianity with Paul there for the three months he stayed. So that's kind of what's going on there. The next we see, once they left Malta, it says that they landed at Syracuse. This was the first stop from Malta on their journey to Rome. Syracuse was a famous city in the ancient world, being the capital city of the island of Sicily. We're familiar with Sicily. It's in Italy, right? If you're into perfumes or, 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 or uh, you know, uh, why can I not think of that right now? What, men, what do men wear? <laughs> cologne. If you're into perfume and cologne, Sicily is synonymous for all that, right? They bring out all the the smell goods and all that. So this place, Syracuse, was a famous city on the island of Sicily. As I was studying this, it was was interesting to me, uh, you know, how we in modern day, we adapt many of the names of towns and cities and even universities we have from ancient times. Right. There's many uh, cities that if you look back, you're like, wow, that's not a that's that's not the first time I've heard that name because it comes from ancient times. Um, You know, I'm a big uh, college football guy. I'm a big fan of college football. And, you know, uh, if any of you know from the Eagles way back in the day, Donovan McNabb, he went to the University of Syracuse, the Orangemen. That's what immediately popped in my mind. I don't know why, probably because I'm into sports, but I was like, oh, Syracuse, yeah, the Orangemen. So, uh, you know, that's just a little fun fact. But we, we, we tend to take old terms or old names and we rename cities this. I mean, you think about the, uh, the city of Philadelphia. Where did Philadelphia come from? We know it's brotherly love. We know that, you know, uh, all, all these different names, they have, their, they have their roots in the ancient times. Okay, as we move on, uh, it's talking about Ram and uh, uh, Paludi. I just botched that name again. Forgive me. Anyways, they stopped in these places and then they went on towards Rome. Um, As Paul and the others made their way northward, this is where they would go, northward up the Italian peninsula, they, they, they spent time with fellow followers of Jesus Christ along the way. This is where the text says that we found, speaking of the crew, we found brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. Next, it tells us when the brethren heard about us, heard about who Paul was coming with, they came to meet us as far as Appius, the Appius form and three inns. Okay, so let's break this down. Eventually, they were greeted outside of Rome by Christians from the city who came to meet them, right? They honored Paul by greeting him as emperors traditionally were greeted before they arrived to Rome. Um, They had went out to meet him. They came 
out from the city. They walked a long way, probably about 43 miles if you kind of, you know, looked at how far it was to welcome Paul and his companions. They had received Paul's famous letter to the Romans a few years before. So because they had studied the book of Romans, they probably felt like they had known him. Have you, you know, when you get into the word of God, doesn't it, don't you sense sometimes like you're like, man, I, I, maybe I don't relate entirely, but I feel like I understand the characters of the Bible to some degree because you've gone over the text so much, you've mulled over it. And so you're like, okay, I, 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 I'm understanding better uh, how, who this person could be. And so this is how they felt. And they actually had the opportunity to meet Paul. So this was a big deal for them. Because they're like, this is the, this is the person who was used to, to pen this, uh, this letter. This was uh, the person that the Lord had worked through in order to make this letter a reality. And so they certainly wanted to honor him. They wanted to give him uh, the respect and the encouragement that he needed. In light of the love and honor being greeted like this, no wonder that Paul thanked God. And took courage. Because again, we have to remember, he has gone through a whole lot. It hasn't been easy. It's been extremely difficult. Just forget spiritually, just physically, mentally, emotionally taxing getting to this point. I don't know if you've been on the water before. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I may go on the lake, but I'm not trying to be all up in the ocean don't ask me to go. I'm not doing it. Don't ask me to go fishing. I'm not doing that. <laughs> but they were on the ocean. They were in a sea, in a storm for 14 days, for two whole weeks, with no sunlight and no nightlight. And I'm not talking about the little cute nightlight. I'm talking about there was no, the moon, it was blocked from the storm. 14 days. That's harsh. No water. Smells like diarrhea. People throwing up everywhere. <clears throat> it's not a good look. It's not a good look. So that alone, you just put yourself in that position. Could you imagine doing that for 14 days? Well, there you go. So it was difficult for him. And so for him to be greeted by these believers, he said, we have never even met you before, but we've read the letter that you penned and we love you. You're a brother in Christ. We want to encourage you. We thank God for you. He took courage. He was encouraged. The application is this. The Lord enjoys using one part of the body to encourage another part of the body. That's just brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant on God's part. You see, we've heard it before that the Christian life is a one another ministry. That's why you should be able to go to any church in the land overseas I mean, I'm talking about a Bible-believing, Christian-based church, and you should be welcomed in with open arms. You should be able to take the finest seat. The Bible talks about it, right? You got two visitors. Someone comes in all nice and esteemed, looking all proper, smelling good, got the top hat, shoes shining, Stacey Adams. Oh, come right here, sit in the front. And then you got somebody who smells like alcohol who just came off a bender, and you're like, dude. You really, you can't even come in, bro. You're breaking our code, man. You see everyone in zip up in here proper? You come in here smelling like liquor? <laughs> Shouldn't pay, play favorites. Obviously, you got to be, you know, well aware. We're not going to just let somebody run up in here and drink up in here. But who are we to say that that person who smells of alcohol shouldn't be here? <laughs> this is the place they need, man. If the only place, it better be the church. Because everywhere else, they're like, get out, get out. We don't want you. You know, somebody that needs to go to the VA, get out. We don't need you. We don't want you. We're just going to give you some pills, take some Oxycontin and go on your way. This should be the place. doesn't matter what your condition is. You come in and you're welcome because it's the body of Christ. And what they need, one of y'all probably has it, has an encouraging word or just something. Maybe a hug. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not comfortable with giving a hug, but you know, whatever, fist pump, something, some kind of encouragement. But that's the body of Christ. You see, no one is a lone ranger in the body of Christ. You can't be, and for good reason. We need one another. Even if you're not a people person, I'm not really a good people person, but I need people. 
I need people. I do. I've learned to understand that, you know, hermiting up like a crab is not a good thing. Being non-sociable is not a good thing. Maybe you don't have to be a social butterfly, but you need other people in your life. You see, like I said before, it's very important to hide God's word in your heart. But it's equally important to have other brothers and sisters in Christ that you fellowship with regularly. It's important. Uh, I have a quick example. And so this is about 10 years ago. I was uh, attending a, a men's group at uh, Venture Christian Church. Uh, Chip Ingram was the, is the senior pastor of that church uh, at the time. And uh, it was a men's group called The Herd. And they would meet every Tuesday. And, and, and a good friend of mine who, um, you know, had ran the streets with and had kind of got saved around the same time through different circumstances, uh, he had invited me to, to this group. And this was when I wasn't driving because of the DUIs. And, you know, he would pick me up. He'd pick me up every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, from 7 to 9, going to Los Gatos, going to the herd. Um, you know, but there was a, there was a, and you'd be at a different table, o- older men. And at the time, like, man, a bunch of old white men, man, what the heck? You know? But you know what? They were the genuine, nicest, some of the nicest people that I had ever met. And I remember a story. And, 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 and the leader of that table had told me a story. Of, and this was before the time of cell phones. He said one of, one of his good buddies, he had been already, he's an older gentleman, so he had already been saved for many years. He said he always got a call or a message from this brother in Christ every day. Every day. Without fail. And this man would just leave him a message or give him a call and just give him an encouraging word, an encouraging verse. And it happened on and on and on. And, you know, several years down the line when I got stronger in my faith and got a little more mature, you know, we have the use of technology. So, uh, you know, cell phones and, you know, the Bible app. I would just I have so many threads of so many different men. Some are saved. Some are not saved. Some are in this church. Some go to churches way far from here. Anyways, the point is this. Every morning without fail, I send out a message, a verse, one verse. It's not a supplement. I don't think these men are living off of it. But it's, it's great because I hear sometimes men tell me, that, you know that verse I sent? Oh, man, I sent it to a whole bunch of other people and people are responding. It's not about me. I'm not trying to bring light to me. What I'm saying is it, it's that encouragement of the body of Christ. Something as small as one verse, send it out every morning and see what happens. See what happens. There's actually the, the, the gentleman that the, 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 was the leader of that, of that table that I sat at at the herd. He actually still contacts me regularly. And he sends me messages all the time. And it's great. It's like the Lord's like, here, here you go. See, because you're giving out, I'm going to give back to you so I can be encouraged. So it's, it's just super cool. And the reason for this, the, the, the body helping each other, it's clear. You see... Through the body of Christ, we are built up, we are edified, we are challenged, we are convicted, and sometimes even rebuked by how God will use other believers in our lives. And that's important, right? Uh, what I'm saying, I'm not saying that Scripture won't, hurt, won't help you when you hit hard times. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to negate uh, the, the use of scripture in your life. What I'm saying is, in some storms, you're going to need, I'm going to need that human interaction, right? Many times, not even for someone to preach to you, but just for someone to just, you can put your head on their shoulder and just cry it out. <laughs> you just know that the presence of Christ through another believer is there with you. Husbands, wives, y'all been there. <laughs> Something pops off. Aren't you so thankful for your spouse? You know, and for those of you that aren't married, aren't you so thankful for Jesus Christ being your spiritual husband? He is our spiritual husband, all of us. And that's not weird. When you understand scripture and terminology, you're like, yes, (laughs) I'm I'm the bride. He's the bridegroom. (laughs) I need him. But in any event... We need those times when people are in our lives. You see, there are times to pray and study God's word alone, but you also need to be connected to the body. It can't be none of this. Oh, man, I just and I get it. If someone physically can't be at a church service, I get that. 
But I'm talking about if you can get up and walk to the bathroom and do your duty. And if you can (laughs) go to the refrigerator and then kick your feet back up in your lazy chair, then you can get your butt to church. You need to be connected to the body of Christ because no Christian, hear me, is healthy when they are not part of a local body of believers. It don't have to be this church. If this church don't suit you and don't fit you, then find another one that does. But be a part of the body of believers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 tells us this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 tells us, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's important to be in fellowship. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You're not going to make it if this is it. This is not it. This is, I just love using this analogy. It's like the huddle in football. It's where you get the game plan. But it's from here, when you disperse, that's when the game starts. That's when the ref blows the whistle and it's game time. That's when those fiery darts are really going to kick in. And you better be connected because if you're not, you're going to be like that. You're going to be like that one that one animal, the pack is running in the savannah in Africa and you got this straggler. Who does the lioness and the lion go after? They go after that one that's straggling behind. Man, you're going to be breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you don't stay with the group. You've got to stay with the body of Christ. All right. Lastly, what we can gain from this passage is that Paul was not the first person to bring the gospel to Rome. You see, the presence of those Christians that were there, it provides evidence that the gospel had reached Rome already. There were Jewish people from Rome present at Peter's preaching at Pentecost. Remember this? Many years back. So they had probably been Christians there in Rome for a long period of time. Paul was just coming to be encouraged and to encourage these believers to continue on. Okay, next verse, verse 16. It says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. All right. So this is pretty self-explanatory. But finally, this promise was fulfilled. You see, Paul determined that he would go to Rome as early as his third missionary journey. That's in Acts chapter 19 and in Romans chapter 1. You can read about that on your own time. After Jerusalem, Jesus promised Paul that he would make it to Rome and repeated the promise during those two weeks in the storm. You see, and that's why Paul was able to take heart, even though it was dark and gloomy and it seemed like despair was on every side the lord had spoken to him clearly and revealed to him you're going to make it through and maybe you're in a dark time in your life take heed that the lord is going to see you through this dark time in your life but you cannot give up hope you got to hold on to christ you got to be like that lady who who just if i could just touch the hem of his garment I don't even need to see a face-to-face. Just let me touch the hem of his garment. I will be healed. you got to have faith like that. You know that that's the only woman that he called daughter in the Bible? That's intense. He regarded her in that way because of her faith. He said, daughter, your faith has made you healed. That's a beautiful thing. Maybe that's you today. And you're just clinging on. It's your faith. Your faith that Jesus Christ is the only one who can eradicate and take out the situation that's bad in your life. No self-help group, no wonder pill, no diet, no amount of money can take away what's going on in your life. You need Jesus Christ to take the situation out of your life. If you're on that level with him, oh, you're going to get a breakthrough. Just wait and see. Amen. All right. So we see it took the whole book of Acts for him to get to Rome. We're at the end of the book, but now the the, the promise is being fulfilled. You see, Jesus' prophecy that his disciples would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth was fulfilled. This is important because we live in in a society that everything is now, now. I need it now. I posted on Facebook, I need to see the results now. I sent the email, I need to see it now. Do you know there was a time where you had to write a letter and not type? And you had to mail it out? 
and you had to wait for the mailman or the mail lady to deliver the letter to the person who you sent it to. And then you had to wait for them to get home to go to the mailbox and open up and get the letter. And then they had to open up the letter and read the letter. And then they had to wait for a little while and let it soak in. And then they had to figure out how they were going to respond. And then the process worked itself all over again. You see, it took time. There's something called patience that we lack in this society, that we lack in this culture, that the young people of this culture have no idea what it is to be patient. Because everything is now, 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 and I have to wait one minute, I'm going to lose my mind. We could stand to learn some patience. It's good to be patient. It's not good to always plunge ahead and want everything now. Sometimes the worst thing you and I could do is plunge ahead and demand. We've all been there. Lord, you have a deadline. I need it now. If you don't come now, it's over. If it's not the Lord's time, it's not the Lord's time. Are you going to forsake him because he didn't give you what you thought you wanted right then and there? That's not how it works. His timing's perfect. You see, Paul had to wait a long time. He had to wait a long time. Next, we see that, again, it wasn't a normal prison that Paul was in. He was like in in this home and he was able to dwell by himself, provided that uh, he had someone that watched over him. Again, we we had already learned. I already mentioned that, that the guard changed every four hours. But this gave him an opportunity to speak to different soldiers throughout the day, throughout the time. And, and, and this was him serving the purpose that the Lord had for him. All of these men needed to hear the gospel and they got a bird's eye view, able to hear Paul as he spoke. The application is this. No matter what your circumstance looks like, you can have an impact for the Lord. You see, Paul could have easily thought to himself, what a waste, what a waste. What am I doing here? My ministry is worthless. You see, a lot of pastors think that way because they're basing their They're basing their success of the ministry based on numbers. And if you don't pack the house, and if you don't have all kind of people trickling through every Sunday, your ministry is a failure. Let me tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the Lord is not involved in making churchgoers. He's involved in making disciples. Your roots need to grow deep. It's the Lord who grows his church. It's not about having a big church. It's not about having a small church. It's about being faithful to what the Lord has called you to do where you're at. And seeing the spiritual growth of the people in your sphere of influence. That's what's most important. You see, because it's not a numbers game. It's not a popularity contest. It's not about having a bigger building or the most elaborate children's ministry. I mean, if you got to keep the children with lollipops and suckers and ponies, you know, whatever you bring the people in here with, you got to keep them. We ain't got no ponies. We ain't got no lifesavers. We ain't got none of that. All we got is Jesus Christ. So you keep coming. It's because Jesus Christ is here and you're going to meet with them. It ain't because we ain't got anything elaborate because we don't. We're not, we're not into that. We're not into that. But Paul was like, he understood. He understood. He said, as a prisoner, Lord, what can I do for you? In your situation today, What you and I need to ask ourselves is, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I serve you where I'm at? May you help me to be the best servant I can be in the situation you have me in. May the light and the love of Jesus Christ flow through my life despite what my circumstances look like. You see, we cannot allow our problems to be so great that we think the true and living God of all creation cannot work through us. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 tells us this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh man, that's so beautiful. That's so encouraging that your God is with you. You need to take heart in that. I need to take heart in that. It's a beautiful thing. All right, we're moving forward. It says, lastly, in this portion of Scripture, that the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. He was ecstatic. He was super happy. He, he was faithful. He, he accomplished the goal that he was set out to do to deliver the prisoners. Remember, there was a time on the sea, <laughs> this crew, 
They got fickle. They said, man, everything's breaking down. Maybe we should just kill everybody. That way we're not guilty. <laughs> they were going to kill every single prisoner. And you guys are going to die anyways. We might as well kill you guys. But the centurion didn't go that way. He, he sensed what Paul was sharing with him. And he gave the order, don't kill anybody. Everyone's going to get to the island of Malta safely. We're going to get to Rome. And he was grateful when this happened and when he brought them in. So that's what that uh, little last portion of scripture says. And um, just to clarify, because I was incorrect in this a couple weeks ago. So uh, when Paul came to Rome, the city had existed for already 800 years. The Colosseum wasn't built yet. But they were still doing those crazy things where, you know, if you're a prisoner, you got to go up against a lion and whatever, all that. But I just wanted to clarify, <laughs> uh, the Colosseum was not built yet, so I stand corrected in that. All right, 18 and 20. We're getting there. Hopefully people are okay with the air. Uh, we're getting there. All right. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, I thought I had done nothing, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Okay, so he basically wanted to gather these uh, leaders together to let them know what the real deal was, what the importance of, uh, of him and his innocence was to them. This follows the consistency that we see in the, the word of God that, that Jesus Christ came for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. This is why he, he came to them in this matter. And it also shows us the importance of who men and brethren are in uh, you know, roles of leadership. It says men and brethren, brethren. Well, Paul wanted to make known to them what was going on, but why the men and, and, and brethren? Well, Paul understood that the men had responsibility as the spiritual leaders of their homes, of their, uh, of their families, of the churches, uh, of the community. And so this is why Paul spoke with these men in this way because he wanted them to understand because it trickled down from the men to the women to the children. Not that men are any better than women. We are equal. Hear me? We are equal. We have separate functions. There are many things that women are called to do that if the man tried to do it, it's going to cause an imbalance and it's all going to be bad. Trust me, I've already been there and done that with, with my wife at home and, and there's just certain things that my wife just does better than me. But this is why he spoke to the men and the brethren. This was the importance. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This comes to, 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 null, uh, to, to clarify this. If there's any confusion, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And this, again, explains why Paul went to the men and shared with them, hey, this is what's going on. You guys need to understand, I'm not guilty. I'm not in the wrong. I came because Jesus had led me to tell these people the truth, but the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, they denied it because they're, they're, they're in darkness. They're spiritually blinded. And these people, these uh, Jews in Rome understood that. They understood that. The beautiful thing about this, after he, he shares everything, he says, not that I have anything of which to accuse my nation. He basically saw the importance of not taking vengeance for himself. Paul understood that. He could have easily lashed out and, and tried to take vengeance for himself, but he understood what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 tells us, and it says, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you, do you get that? He entrusted himself to God the Father, the only one who judges justly. Even though he was reviled, even though he was looked down upon, even though he was threatened wrongly. You see, vengeance is the Lord's, not man's. How do we do in that area, right? 
when we're wronged, what do we do? I know me, I'm like, man, I want to bite back. That's like the first instinct. Ah, I got to get you. But, you know, what Jesus tells us is love your enemies. Those who spite you, you know, bless them. Bless them. If anything, it'll be like what? A heaping coal on their head. It'll shame them because they'll understand if their heart is ready, they'll recognize, man, dude, I'm wrong. I shouldn't even be like this. But it's not going to work, right? The, 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 the wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. Oh, how I wish our world would learn that. All these wars would stop. All this fighting would stop. It would cease. But we know it's not like that because this isn't... <laughs> There needs to be the new heaven and the new earth. But, but it's, it's true, right? If we understood this, if political leaders understood this, but I get it because the way the system is, they stand to lose too much. But the wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. And Paul understood this. All right. As we wrap it up and the worship team comes up, these last few verses. And when they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported something of evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For we regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So basically they're saying that, man, we haven't heard nothing bad about you. We want to know more about what you're sharing right now because we believe it's true. You see... The reality is this. There's always going to be some that are going to receive Jesus. And there's going to be some that don't. But this is a great example. And I'm going to end with this, right? You guys know the portion of scripture that's the sower and the seed, right? The sower. He's out chucking seed. He's just chucking it. He's, (laughs) all right? The farmer's chucking it. But there's four types of soils, right? I'm not going to name them all, but there's four types. But what happens? There's only one soil, that the seed actually takes root in and grows. This is crazy because, you know, I'm a baseball guy. I'm not a numbers guy, but I know that going one for four, that's not a good day. Unless you're going on, you know, I have a 15 game hit streak, (laughs) but one for four is not a good percentage. When I started looking at that portion of scripture like that, I was like, man, that kind of sucks, Lord. One for four, there's a lot of crummy soils. But this is the thing. The farmer, there was nothing wrong with the seed. There was something wrong with the soil. The soil represents the heart. But the farmer was like a little kid. He was just chucking seed everywhere. Now, he didn't care where it fell. His whole point was, let me get the seed out so life can grow. For you and I, as believers in Christ, we need to be like that farmer who is God the Father and chuck that seed out. Get the word out. Not be a weirdo standing on a street corner, bellowing you're going to go to hell. Not running around with a Bible, reading scripture to people, but by the way you live. Be like Christ. Be relatable. Love people. Enjoy people. It's as simple as pray over your meal. Nobody prays over their meal anymore, especially in public. May you be the couple. May you be the person that bows your head before you dig in like a pig and say, Lord Jesus, thank you. For providing me nourishment to my body. And just watch how just those simple acts of honoring God, and it'll have an effect on those around you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you do a mighty work that only you can do. Thank you that you allow us to be recipients of your mercy and your grace. Lord, may we honor you today with our lives. And may you do with us how you choose. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray.